0: Listening to Pythagoras' trousers. Hello and welcome to this month's Pythagorean astronomy with me, Chris North,
1: and me, Edward Gomez. Right,
0: we're going to start off with, I guess, the the, the biggest story in space and astronomy uh, the last few weeks, and I guess, arguably for a while, has been uh, the the launch of Artemis One, uh, the the NASA mission, uh, well, the NASA and ESA mission uh, to send a, a probe to uh, or around the moon. Um, it's, it was a launch that I, I actually caught by accident. It was on the 16th of November as it launched and I, I happened to have to get up early for some work stuff and was sitting at the breakfast table and suddenly saw on Twitter, uh, that it was, uh, it was about to happen. So, um, I, I watched the launch, which was, uh, not maybe a bit late for work because it was a bit later than I needed to, but, um, it's always nice to watch a rocket launch, especially when it takes you by surprise. But it was, the, I think the third attempt that they tried um they had a few issues getting this this launch, but um it it's a big rocket, isn't it? This space launch system that's gone to the moon.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's bigger than the so the Saturn V was the uh the rocket that previously took astronauts to the moon back in the sixties, and um this SLS, the space launch system, um, is bigger um because it's designed initially um it's it doesn't it's not got any crew on board even though if you see uh, images of the cockpit there is a a suit um uh, but the suit is just a mannequin just sort of um uh, like a like a crash test dummy um and and there's a snoopy as well <laughs> which is like which uh, is like some sort of good luck charm I, I don't know like you're having a dashboard of um uh of a car when you're 17 uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's their
0: zero g indicator right because they normally have on on capsules they have a little thing dangling down dang, a bit like dice on the wing mirror um but the idea is something ah, right. down when they hit microgravity it starts floating because it's on a bit of a spring so this snoopy right. i guess is on a bit of elastic so when it hit microgravity or zero g suddenly it would start they could see it floating um and it's named after so the the apollo 10 lunar module was called snoopy um, this is the one that the one before Apollo Eleven, unsurprisingly, that went to scout around the moon, just fly down and and then come back. So I think there's a little bit of a history of the other name Snoopy in um in in NASA missions certainly. Um, so a nice little touch there.
1: Yeah, nice little touch, and, and uh, Snoopy's wearing a uh, an orange spacesuit as well, um, which is quite reminiscent of earlier astronauts.
0: But it was the launch after a few attempts where they tried to get it off, but it had it had there were leaks of hydrogen from the fuel cells. I mean these, these things run on liquid hydrogen, liquid oxygen, so stuff that's cooled down very low, and you, you really don't want that sitting on a rocket for too long because it, it's it's by design it's very explosive stuff. Um, that's the whole point of the rocket fuel. So they uh, uh, they they had a few issues with leaks and so on, but they finally managed to uh, to get this off the ground uh, on the sixteenth of November, and it's on a it's about a. I think it's about, uh, it was about a three and a bit week mission, so 25 days or something. Yeah, 25, 26 days,
1: about halfway through.
0: And so it's, it's got to the moon um, or around the moon. It's, it's just set the distance record uh, for the furthest... Well, it's not crew, It's not a crewed mission, but the furthest sort of human spaceflight-inspired mission or something. It's a bit <laughs> yeah, of a record. Right. <laughs> it's a bit
1: of a rubbish record, isn't it?
0: Uh... I guess it's, it's probably the most distant spacesuit.
1: Um, um possibly, yeah. Well there was a there was a Tesla which had a person in a spacesuit in it, didn't
0: it? Oh yeah, that's true. Or oh, maybe it's not even that. Anyway, some <laughs> dubious record about being the most distant yeah. some category from Earth. Uh so two hundred and seventy thousand miles and um is what was in the press release. I can't remember what that is. getting on four hundred thousand kilometers. Um but that's because it's gone for, it's in a, a much larger orbit above the moon's surface than the Apollo missions, um, sent back some photos, which is always nice, uh, of the moon. Um, and this really is a test flight, right? They're, they're testing whether the Space Launch System or SLS, I, I kind of wish it had a snazzier name. Um, SLS and Space Launch System are a bit, bit of a mouthful. Sounds like a boy uh, band, SLS. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, so they've gone to the moon, uh, it's gone to the moon with the uh, the, the crew capture on the top, um, uh, which is then going to splash down um, in in a couple of weeks as we record this, uh, and and uh, yeah, do do a test run, um, and it's the first of um, of a f- well, the first of a few missions, but the next one is is designed to be crude, so to have four people in it. Um, so they yeah, and that'll be
1: in about two two or three years possibly.
0: Yeah, they're saying May twenty twenty four, which a lot of people I've heard saying is a bit ambitious um, to to launch it by that by that time, but. Uh, yeah, but the the plan is to launch a few more uh, crewed missions over the next few years, and then uh, uh, a lunar landing. So they're planning that for about twenty twenty five, I think. But again, that seems quite ambitious. Um,
1: well, you got to think of the Apollo missions. Once they once they initially got to the moon, they were they were every couple of years. Um, uh, that once they actually landed people on the moon, every couple of years, then they were sending up uh true missions
0: true so yeah i guess they had they had uh six well seven missions after in nineteen sixty five, sixty nine to 72 right so yeah three or four years yeah. seven missions yeah so i mean there was a lot of money behind apollo i think more money in, yeah. uh you know accounting for inflation than than there is uh there isn't this but but yeah i mean i guess once you've proved you can launch a rocket then sticking the people on top in terms of the rocket is a a small thing in terms of having the uh, showing that the people are going to survive is a, a slightly, a slightly bigger thing. Um, so that'll be, that'll be exciting when that happens, but it's it's good to have the, the test flight uh, going um, uh, and gone. And a lot of reminiscence of the solid rocket boosters, the base, are basically the same as the shuttle ones, the space shuttle ones, but with an extra extra bit added on. And the, the main fuel tank looks a lot like the space shuttle fuel tank and so on, but all non-reusable, unfortunately. Um, so, uh, yeah, a lot of things to, to hark back to. But sticking with human spaceflight, uh, in terms of actual humans, uh, there's been some developments on the European Space Agency side, the, the ESA side, who also have a, a human spaceflight program. Um, they have just this month announced their next cohort of astronauts uh, for missions. So I think they announced five astronauts, um, and then about double that in terms of reserve astronauts who you know, passed, the, passed the test but aren't going to be trained at this at this point. Uh, wh- one of the one of the five astronauts includes uh, Rosemary Coogan, who is uh, a physics graduate and holds a, a doctorate in physics, a PhD in physics uh, who is is one of the five so uh, well I mean it's excellent to have another British astronaut uh, to go up, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean there are there are th- uh, three British astronauts on the list or, um, and uh, Rosemary Coogan uh Megan Christian and uh John McFall. So John McFaul actually did a, a masters degree in Cardiff at, at the University of Wales Institute of Cardiff as it was now called Cardiff Met um which is the early 2000s. Um and uh very interesting about um about John McFall is that he's a a Paralympic athlete and uh he's taking part in a in a study um that is sort of assessing the uh, the feasibility of, uh, of, of uh, para-astronauts um, so i think that's also extremely significant uh, that for the first time that they're, they're looking at somebody uh, uh, who on earth would have disabilities and perhaps in space will actually just have different abilities
0: yeah I mean the the so John McFall after a, I think a motorbike accident had a is yeah. a, a, a leg amputated so um yeah has a as a as a physical disability but of course in zero gravity there are lots of physical disabilities like that that, that presumably have relatively limited um impact in uh, in what you can do in zero gravity but I guess a lot of the test is is the is the rest the whole rest of the mission? Obviously, the training on Earth and then the and then the launch itself and uh, and so on. Um, and then designing spacesuits for you know people with different shapes, essentially different disabilities. Yeah. Um, and so on. So that's going to be really, uh, really interesting. So yeah. So having having John as a as an astronaut, uh, John McFall, uh, as you say, Rosemary Coogan's is the other astronaut, and then Megan Christian is uh, one of the reserves as well. So a few a few British names on that list, which is uh, which is great. So I think Rosemary and I guess John now start twelve months of training um, to become astronauts, and uh, I'm not entirely sure when the when the plan for for launches. But in a few years, I guess the training for astronauts is quite um uh, quite a long. So it's twelve months basic training, um, and then uh, uh, a few years after that before they go into space. So we've got to wait a while before any of these get into space. I suppose. Let's move from human spaceflight to some of the the science exploration of our our universe. Um, we'll start off. Uh, let's start off close to home. Um, and Edward, you spotted a story uh, from Mars. And actually, the the, the 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 images this is based on were a few years ago, twenty nineteen. But there's some some new analysis of uh, Martian clouds. What have what have we learned from this? I think it was the Mars Express mission, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, that's right. Mars Express, which is a European Space Agency mission, uh, the visual monitoring camera took some pictures of a dust storm back in 2019 um, that was near to the the North Pole on Mars. And since then, people have been analysing this data and looking at it in much more detail. And instead of it being like a smooth, uh, monolithic cloud structure got to be careful when you're talking about space and monoliths, Um, (laughs) rather than it being a smooth, unified structure, um, it has cells in it, um, much like when you look at clouds from the top um, on Earth, uh, which is extremely interesting. Um, So if you imagine that, it's like uh, if you go to a pebbly beach, it's looking, looking more like that from the top rather than being smooth. Um, And uh, this gives us more of an indication that it has um, the the types of processes that we we see on Earth about convection currents happening in these these little cells. So this is a, a huge dust storm, obviously. But you get these little cells that each have their own little convection cycles in them. Not something that we'd really thought of before.
0: What's interesting here is that this is this dust storm. So it's not the clouds. I said it was the clouds. It's not really the clouds. It's these, these, these clouds of dust which go all the way down to the surface, right? These are enormous storms over the surface. So I think that's the really interesting thing for me is that, is that it is these, these dust storms are behaving rather than just like you might imagine this, this pile of dust sort of being blown across the desert kind of idea. It is this cloud-like structure. That's, um, that's quite, quite cool to understand the processes is going on.
1: Yeah, that's right. Because, you know, clouds are made out of water droplets, um, but dust is, is much, much bigger than, than water droplets in size. You know, uh, grains of dust, like sandy, um, probably uh, slightly finer than sand, but still they're the big particles, but they're still behaving uh, in, in a very similar way. So just a, a, a nice little science story there.
0: Yeah, so some science from uh, the atmosphere of Mars and now leaping uh, a little further afield to uh, an exoplanet. So WASP-39b is a planet that goes around the star WASP-39. That's how we got its name. Um, This is a planet that's about the size of Saturn. Uh, It orbits, but it orbits much, much closer to its star. Its star is a bit like the sun, but it orbits uh, much, much closer. It orbits about a 20th of the distance that the Earth is from the sun. So that's about what? Between five and ten times closer than Mercury is uh, to our sun, so so it's a very very hot planet. It's hundreds of degrees Celsius on its on its surface, but it probably doesn't. Well, it may well have a rocky a rocky core somewhere, uh, but, but or a solid core somewhere. But it's it's a, a big sort of gas giant planet with a very puffed up atmosphere. But new observations from earlier this year from JWST, uh, so this is you know the, the new space telescope launched last Christmas. Uh, have shown shown that um, uh, we've been able to detect different molecules in its atmosphere, which is uh, this is an important step to be able to measure what's going on in the atmosphere.
1: Yeah, this is um, uh, something that uh, lots of people have been have been trying to look for uh, atmospheres, and you can infer an atmosphere of a planet by just looking at. Um, you can measure a, a planet's mass, and you can measure its, its size, its radius or its diameter, and then you can work out an average density, and then you can come up with a model for what um, a planet is made of, and whether, you know, if it's entirely rock, then um, it would have a certain density given, you know, what we think are, of planets in our solar system and planet formation models. And if it's got a much lower density, it must have some gas component as well. And so you can infer that something has 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 a gassy atmosphere, and whether the atmosphere, whether the planet is predominantly atmosphere and with a small rocky core, or whether it has um, you know a thinner atmosphere, is all dependent on the density and the model that you come up with. If you're looking at uh, an atmosphere and you see different compounds, uh, then then you've got something uh, that's that's really concrete. Um, and so things like sulfur dioxide, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide um, were, were being reported uh, as having been detected from um, this planet, which is is really interesting from planet formation um, science, but also uh, it's it's always goes into the idea of what we're looking at for life, um, for the, the signs of life. And none of these are biomarkers. So none of these are things that will be produced by um, an intelligent civilization as opposed to uh just naturally occurring um in the in the quantities that they've been found
0: but the molecules that they've got so the sulfur dioxide has a lot of sulfur in it so that implies that there were lots of planetesimals so you know tiny much smaller objects that form this planet and recruited onto it over the over the period but the fact that this forms sulfur dioxide that needs that needs chemistry to be going on in the atmosphere. So I mean, not necessarily particularly exotic chemistry, but high energy radiation, ultraviolet light and so on from the star to to break things down and to form that sulfur dioxide. So we know there's active chemistry there. Again, not a surprise, but interesting to have, have detected it. Um, and I think the other thing that that, that they showed was that the, the ratio or the amount of uh, oxygen in the atmosphere um, compared with the amount of carbon in the atmosphere implies that this thing, this planet must have, well, possibly formed further away from its star than it currently is just because of where those the abundance of those elements the relative abundance of those elements at different points in a, in a typical solar system at least as we understand planet formation so that either means that this solar system was different from ours when this planet formed which and the the, the elemental abundance is we, we think we kind of understand how how those those spread out in solar systems uh, but also, this supports the idea that these planets spiral in. So, a lot of these, what are often called hot Jupiters, so gas giant planets that are very, very close to their star, didn't form there. It's commonly thought that they've migrated in from much larger distances. So, again, this is kind of chemical evidence, if you like, for for that process, uh, which is, uh, you know, extra lines of support. And then it's going to be fascinating to see what what the chemistry on some of these planets that are so hot is. You know, to be able to understand these atmospheres is is the next kind of Big thing in exoplanet science, rather than just their size and mass, to understand what they're actually like is uh, is going to be really cool over the next well few years with JWST, but then I guess decades with with future missions.
1: Yeah, the 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 planet migration, um, so planets changing their orbital positions, is is a fascinating subject, particularly because we think of our solar system as being a normal solar system. Um, but we haven't had any of these great migrations in our solar system. Um, all of the solar system formation theories are looking at mostly we've had the the rocky planets towards the sun and the, the gassy planets further out uh, with some bits and pieces left behind like uh, uh, like centaurs and trans-Neptunian Neptunian objects and, um, and the asteroid belt. And um and everything's mostly where it is. A couple of in a couple of situations some things may have been hit and um you know something while the solar system was forming may have hit the Earth to form the moon. But that was, you know, not after the planets have formed, as as is most likely the case um in, in this situation. And we see this with, like you were saying, a lot of other how do these hot Jupiters get to be very close to the Sun was a big question because in in terms of the planet formation or the, the, the in terms of looking at how extrasolar systems formed, we couldn't really look at our own solar system because the Jupiter sized planets were very close and in our solar system Jupiter is very far away from the Sun um, so they have to move about.
0: Yeah, and the interesting impact on the rest of the planets. Obviously, if Jupiter had spiralled in towards the sun. Then it may well have disrupted the inner planets and sent the Earth and Mars and Venus and Mercury careering to either different distances or maybe even out of the solar system. So that's one one interesting question, one important difference to our solar system. It's quite nice being on a rocky planet close to the sun. It's um it's very useful for life. Uh, but then yeah, the impact that we've got other extrasolar extrasolar planets where the the atmospheres are being stripped away by all the Intense radiation from the star, and so being able to study those examples, you know, there's there's a there's a lot of focus on Earth-like planets, you know, looking for Earth 2.0 but actually these exoplanets that are nothing like anything we've got in our solar system. Although no one is suggesting, at least at the moment, as far as I'm aware, that, serious, that there could be you know life in the atmosphere of this planet. Um, I mean, certainly not life as we know it, but you know, who knows? Uh, then you know studying these completely alien worlds is uh, is is fascinating scientifically without the the i guess the more evocative question of you know is is there life there uh, it's it's still an interesting thing to ask about these solar systems because eventually we might say you know can we explain well why jupiter didn't spiral in i think it's timescale of formation right but
1: it can also be the resonances as well um so because yeah. we've got um, this sort of resonance between Jupiter, Saturn, and the sun um, we might be very lucky and you know it might be that our solar system our solar system is very lucky, and that's how life came to form uh, because because we have a moon, a moon you know uh, producing tides uh, was extremely useful so that uh, you know it's things for could evolution lay exposed and things yeah yeah uh, for for macroscopic. Uh, life and that might be why you know we don't have this migration happening is that uh, we've we've just got you know one of the special cases where it doesn't happen. Um, and if you've got too many very large planets if you say form three Jupiters it might be a disaster solar system and uh, uh, the, the three Jupiters kick out everything else.
0: Yeah, interesting sort of planetary dynamics to uh, to look at. But uh, for now, these studies of the atmospheres are, are, are fascinating, and and I think not not just these hot Jupiter planets, but but also others. We said other other planets that are maybe more like Earth size are going to be the study of not just JWST, but in future years, uh, aerial and other sort of European missions, which are going to uh, be uh, be launching specifically to study the atmospheres of. Uh, of exoplanets and find out what they're what they're really like so that's uh that's it for this month uh thank you edward uh for joining me again don't forget you can find past episodes and subscribe to the podcast at pythagastro.uk you can also search for us on spotify just look for pythagorean astronomy so until next month goodbye goodbye <coughs> You've been listening to Pythagorean Astronomy, an extended version of this month's Astronomy Roundup from Pythagoras' Trousers, a weekly science and technology radio show presented by me, Reese Phillips. You can catch up on full episodes of Pythagoras' Trousers, subscribe to our podcast and get in touch by going to www.pythagoras-trousers.radio.fm.